my friends. Welcome to another episode of the Body Wisdom Podcast. We are your hosts, Kiara Orbe and Gabby Barboza. Welcome, welcome. If you're new here, we're so excited that you're here. This is the place to be if you guys want to learn more about nervous system health, nutrition in a way that is not overwhelming and overstimulating. We talk about relationships. We talk about all the things that are impacting your health and well-being today because it is so much more than just nutrition. And Gabby and I go deep here. And we have some really honest and incredible conversations with some wonderful guests on the show. So if this is your first episode, be sure to scroll back and listen to some of the amazing guests that we've had on the show. And we release episodes each Wednesday. So be sure to hit the follow button wherever you listen to podcasts and get notified whenever we drop an episode each Wednesday um, when we're in season. And today on the show, we have Dr. Shannon. Um, She is a doctor of physical therapy and we, I'm just so glad that we connected. I joined her platform, Evlo. I don't, I don't know how long ago that was. It was like, it's sometime last year. It was, yeah, it was sometime last year because, together. yeah, because some of my clients were telling me so much about Evlo and how much they loved it, and it's a membership where you can just, yeah, it's on demand, and you can just do it at home or outside or on vacation. Like she has travel workouts, which I really enjoyed as well because yeah, it just makes it so easy. So that's how I found out about Dr. Shannon. I also love her on social media, her platform, um, because she shares some really cool like reels and how to's and stuff. And so we just get into fitness and all the things related and how it integrates with your nervous system. Mm-hmm. That's what I love about Dr. Shannon is she's speaking to both. And so if you're in the holistic health space, it can feel like, how do I know the best movement to do if you're already working on your nutrition and you're diving into nervous system and movement and all of that, it can be tough to figure out what's best for your body. And she really drives home how to figure that out, whether it's overburdening your body with the exercise you're doing or underburdening because movement is so important. We need to move as humans. Our bodies are meant to move. And so figuring out what works best for you in a way that isn't going to, again, overburden or underburden your body. And she really speaks to that. We talked to that specifically and how to check in and figure that out. We talked about the CO2 tolerance test. You'll learn how to do that. Um, and just really how to integrate nutrition with that. And I just love her approach and how she doesn't, she's one of those people that sees both sides of a lot of different arguments in the fitness space, but really looks at the research and comes to a conclusion based on both arguments. And that is how you know you're speaking to someone that's very educated because I'm sure she has a polarizing opinion on some things, but when someone has a polarizing opinion on everything, then you wonder, okay, Mm -hmm. like what's real? Mm -hmm. She's really taking it all into account. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We love this episode so much and learned a lot. Like the CO2 tolerance test, what? Mm -hmm. Did not know about that. And now I'm going to be definitely integrating that. And it was just like this inspiring conversation making me want to like be more consistent with my training because that's definitely something that's taking a back seat. Um, over the years, if you guys are new to my journey, my journey began with 
fitness, but I definitely did it in a way that was, <laughs> that got me to the holistic healing space because it like crumbled me because I was working out six days a week and we share all that in the episode and she speaks to that specifically and all the, like the myths that the fitness industry will, will feed you and how we can kind of use movement to our benefit. And I'm just so excited for you guys to listen. So we hope you enjoy and we'll see you on the other side. If you've been in the holistic space for any amount of time, you've probably heard about Branch Basics, but if you haven't, here's your introduction. Branch Basics is a cleaning product that is truly all-in-one. Their formula is top-notch. They use simple ingredients, and it's safe for humans, fragrance-free, biodegradable, and non-GMO. It also doesn't contain any preservatives. Yeah. And that's something that we have to be mindful of as consumers because you can head to your local health food store and you see a non-toxic quote unquote cleaning product, but we have to be, we just have to use our discernment because there's a lot of greenwashing these days because people know that we're searching for non-toxic alternatives to Windex and our Clorox and our Lysols and everything. And so they know that. And so they're going to market to us and we have to do our due diligence and do our research on these ingredients. And that's why I love Branch Basics um, because their ingredients are formulated and, and safe for humans. They don't contain any sulfates. There's no chlorine, no phthalates, no parabens, no VOCs, no phosphates. And I've been using it since 2018. And Everyone that steps foot in my house is exposed to Branch Basics. I kid you not in some capacity. They're usually coming over for like a gathering or something. And then there's a stain. They spill something or I spill something and I sh- I expose them to Branch Basics. And I recommend it to all of my clients, all my friends and family. Some of them have literally bought it on the spot because of how well it works. So if you want to try Branch Basics and experience all of its magic wonders, please do so by using code BODYWISDOM, that's B-O-D-Y-W-I-S-D-O-M for 15% off all starter kits. Again, that's BODYWISDOM, B-O-D-Y-W-I-S-D-O-M for 15% off all starter kits. We're so excited, you guys, for this episode with Dr. Shannon. Dr. Shannon, welcome. We're so excited to have you here. Thank you for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. Yeah, I feel like this is going to be such a good episode on all things exercise, movement, weight training, the whole nine yards. Um, I'm curious, Dr. Shannon, for our listeners who are not familiar with your work, as a um, doctor of physical therapy, I don't know, could you just like introduce yourself a little bit and tell us a little bit about how you got into movement and exercise and the way that you do move? Yes. It's changed a lot over the last decade. Um, I used to teach yoga in college and I was actually a business major. I had a job lined up after college to work at a software company and I um, did the internship and I was like, I can't do this. I cannot sit behind a computer. I was more focused on like planning the yoga classes for the company than I was on like doing my actual work, which I feel terrible about saying. But um, so I I knew that that was like what I wanted to focus on. So I took a fifth year in college, did all my prerequisites for physical therapy school, got into physical therapy school and um, all with the intention to learn more about the body because all the while during college and after college, I was taking dozens of fitness certifications. 
And I felt like none of them were really scratching the itch as far as like I wanted to really learn more about body mechanics, about anatomy, and the fitness certifications just felt like very elementary and I was frustrated about that. So fast forward, I go through physical therapy school, still learning more but not learning as much as I wanted to learn. And during physical therapy school, I kind of started to develop a habit of over-exercising. I was teaching fitness. I started teaching more intense fitness classes, like boot camp type classes. And then I would go lift and I would do my own workout. So there were some days where I was working out like three hours a day, thinking that this is what I need to do to like be fit. And I also had the pressure of like, I'm a fitness instructor, so I need to like look a certain way. And that started to um, become like the norm for me. I was like, okay, this is just what I need to do to be fit. And I was also under eating, again, thinking that like, oh, it's the eat less, move more to like look a certain way. I was under eating. um, And I started developing all of this chronic pain, back pain, hip pain, shoulder pain, all of it. And um, I thought at the time, like, this is just what happens when you have, like, when you're fit. Like, you just feel like crap. You feel exhausted all the time. You hurt all the time. Like, this is just the side effects. So my patients were struggling with the same thing. They felt like they needed to do all of this intense exercise just to look a certain way, just to be fit, just to have good cardiovascular health, just to need muscular, all the things. And their bodies felt like they were falling apart. And it wasn't until I moved from Kansas City to North Carolina for my husband who was going to grad school that I stopped exercising for a period of like two weeks, just like in transit, whatever. And I was like, wow, my body feels amazing and I'm not exercising. Like what gives? Like I thought exercise is supposed to make you healthier, feel better. And I was like, I feel better now than when I was exercising. This is not right. And so I dug into biomechanics a bit more. I was, at the time I was getting different certifications um, that were beyond, like kind of specialty beyond physical therapy school and um, started applying some of those biomechanical principles into my workouts and started feeling better. And I was like, this is the secret. You can be gentle on your body and still build muscle without wearing yourself down. Everything that the fitness industry tells you is totally false about how you have to grind your body into the ground, no pain, no gain, no days off. All those things are completely not true at all. You can work out smarter, not harder and see better results and feel better. So that's why I started Evlo because I knew that I wasn't the only one struggling with this. Um, diet and fitness culture consumes all of us and it's uh, it embeds deeply into our mindsets. And so I knew that I wasn't the only one. And when I started Evlo, um, which is my online fitness uh, platform, the the results that people were getting and how people were feeling was astonishing to me. I was like, I truly am not the only one. There are so many other people who feel this way and feel this sense of relief because maybe they were like, okay, I don't feel good doing all these HIIT workouts every day, these boot camp workouts every day, but Pilates and yoga doesn't feel like quote unquote enough, or I don't feel like maybe that's driving the results that I want to see. And so Evla was kind of a little bit of in between where it was like, we were working with your nervous system instead of against it. We're using um, mechanics to still drive muscle growth and see physical change in your body, but without making you feel like you got hit by a truck. So that's kind of my long-winded backstory of how we got here. 
Thank you for sharing. I don't know about you, Gabby, but I had a very similar experience. Like for for me, and I think for Gabby too, like we really struggled with like digestive issues and hormone imbalances. And when I started to learn, like going to the gym six days a week was probably too much for my body at the time. I took a, a long break and I started to feel so much better. Was that mm-hmm. your experience too? Yeah. I mean, I think that I've gone through so many phases, like just like, okay, this feels good. Okay. Oh, well, this person's saying this is good. And instead for so long, instead of tuning into my body, I was thinking like, what program should I do that worked for this person, even though we were wildly different. different. Mm -hmm. And I can imagine that um, when somebody is starting out new, and I remember when I first started to work out probably in high school, it's uncomfortable and it's painful. And so it, you kind of are like, well, maybe I'll just stop altogether because this doesn't feel good. And so, yeah, if you're working with digestive issues, hormone issues, mm-hmm. and you're following a program that isn't speaking to women, especially we, we serve women mostly. And so, um, yeah, how do you see, I know that was a lot of different things at once, but how do you see the differences between women and men? And also, yeah, when someone is working with um, an imbalance in their body, um, how do you advise there? Great questions. Let's start with like men versus women because there's a lot, uh, there's just kind of a split in the literature right now as far as a lot of the academics are saying women should train completely different than men. And a lot of the academics are saying, no, we really shouldn't train different than men. Like we have, you know, we should train the same. I kind of tend to fall in the middle course I do with a lot of things where I see both ends of it. So I do see in the sense like both men and women have a deltoid muscle and it inserts at the same point and originates at the same point. And we can train our deltoid muscles in the same way. We can both do what we do in Evlo, which is sidelining lateral raises to train and improve the strength and size of our deltoid. We all have similar anatomy as far as like our muscular anatomy. The differences between men and women are that men have like a 24-hour hormonal cycle, whereas women have like a 28-day hormonal cycle. And so the fluctuations on how we feel and how our body can recover during that 28 days can differ, Um, whereas men might feel more or less stable day to day. Now, where I do say like, okay, I, I think, you know, we don't have to change the way we train between men and women is that I think everybody should wake up, assess how they feel, assess what's going on in their life. What are the stressors that are contributing to how I'm showing up right now? How did I sleep? How um, do I feel recovered? Am I, and I saw on the list, we're going to talk about the CO2 tolerance test. So like, did you do the CO2 tolerance test? How are you feeling? Is your body, is your nervous system recovered and ready for a hard workout? Yes or no? And so both men and women can start to do that and apply those things into their lives. But knowing that as a woman, you might have more fluctuations and variations and getting really good at tuning into how your body feels and not pushing through just because it's like the workout on your schedule, like tailoring your workouts and adjusting based on some markers of how your body has recovered from your previous day, I think is kind of like how I, because I think a lot of, a lot of the literature tends to like overcomplicate it. And I really do think it's just as simple as like, show up, how do I feel? 
does a does a super hard workout feel counterproductive to me right now? Am I feeling exhausted? Am I feeling like my my limbs feel yeah, y'all know that feeling where you're like your legs and your limbs just like feel heavy. It's just like this like oh my gosh, weights feel so much heavier. This is only 10 pounds. What the heck? This feels like 20. Like that's an indication from your body like let's back up. Let's not just like barrel through. Let's take a step back. So, I think that that is kind of the approach I take as far as training both men and women. This is so helpful because a lot of the women that I work with, because their nervous systems are so dysregulated, they're having a challenging time like tuning in and asking the question like, is today a good day for me to work out? Like, I don't know. Like, I'm feeling tired, but I know I need to go. Like, just the spinning and the looping of like, I know I need to do this, but I just, I'm not in a space to do that. And you mentioned like the 28-day hormone cycle as well. I'm curious, do you shift your workouts based on where you are in your cycle? Great question. And again, this is something that um, academics are very much disagreeing on right now. And I think the jury the jury is still out. Like we still have yet to find like conclusive evidence on like you should do Pilates during your cycle or yoga during your cycle and like lift during this week and hit to hit during this week. Here's my take and what makes the most sense to me based on the literature and um, kind of like just overall physiology of the human body. So the goal I think for most women and really anyone should be to build lean muscle because we're losing it as we age and lean muscle is an indicator of overall health. It helps with metabolic health. It helps with bone density. It helps with it helps keep your metabolism high. All of those things, and so if our goal is to build or at least maintain muscle mass, we want to be strength training pretty regularly. And the problem with a lot of cycle syncing trends, like what's on TikTok and what's on social media, is that they recommend you know two weeks out of that twenty-eight days where you're not doing a any lifting or any, you're not stressing your muscles in any specific way. And I say stressing your muscles and that that seems like it's a bad thing, but it can be a good thing um, if it's in the right doses. So I tend to think that that um, model of cycle syncing might be counterproductive for most women because they're not able to actually gain progress because you're taking two weeks out of the month off training pretty much. So how I like to view it is like, Keep training every every week in the same way. Like you are, um, you are loading your muscles. You're strength training. You're adding like little touches of cardio, and then based on how you're feeling within that month, depending on the phase that you're in, and depending on how your body adapts to that specific phase, taper back a little bit. Maybe take out a hit session that you usually do. That's always the first thing to go. It for me is like take out hit, and then the second thing is um, take out any additional cardio that you're doing. And then the third thing is continue to strength train, but maybe you do one set instead of four sets, or maybe you lift a little bit lighter and you're just focused on like a maintenance phase rather than like, I'm going to hit my PR this week. And again, this is all dependent on you assessing how you're showing up because some people, um, there are hormonal fluctuations that will dictate kind of like how you can recover within that 28 days. Um, And it's interesting because during the menstrual cycle, that's actually when we're the most similar to men. And that's actually when we can tolerate a little bit of heavier lifts and things like that. But on social media, and I think um, honestly, just like advertising has made us think like, 
oh, we need to hug a tub of ice cream and like lay on the couch during our menstrual cycle. And it's like, well, actually, that's the time we're, we're closest to the men. Um, just because we're bleeding, it doesn't mean that we can't train hard. But some people feel like crap during their menstrual cycle. And so they shouldn't go do a balls to the wall workout. So um, I think that I think that's kind of, again, how I fall in the middle as far as like training for your cycle. And if you feel like you're like, okay, I'm burned out, I'm dysregulated, I've got these hormone imbalances that I'm trying to fix, you can still show up for your workout and just like do a little bit less. Like I, gentle consistency is what we say truly moves the needle for everything. We actually got a trademark because we're like, we believe in this so much. Show up for the workout that was on your schedule or don't, or maybe take like a, a different workout instead, like a, a shorter workout and still show up, but just in a more gentle way than maybe you had planned for your schedule. This is so important because I see that on TikTok so often of the cycle syncing and cycle syncing has gotten so important and it is to a point great to really tune into your cycle. But at the same time of what you're saying, if you're only weight training one to two weeks out of your cycle, then where, how can there be progress? And then I see people even more frustrated because they feel like they're doing everything right as far as cycle thinking, and then they're still not feeling good. Um, how would you say for someone that, I know you work in the nervous system, um, and for someone that wakes up pretty tired most days, um, how are you integrating the nervous system piece into that? Like, would you would you recommend someone just, just go to the gym for five minutes maybe, try it out and see how you feel? Do you feel absolutely exhausted or do you feel like you can keep going? And maybe that cortisol, that little cortisol is what you needed to kind of kickstart your system. Um, yeah, how are you integrating those? Great question. I think it depends on what this person's already doing because we kind of – we kind of see like two ends of the spectrum, whereas someone is exhausted all the time, but it's probably because their lifestyle plus their workout routine is just completely depleting them and putting them in this sympathetic activation, chronic sympathetic activated mode where they're exhausted, their body can't heal and catch up because they're just like burning the candle at both ends. That was me. And then there's the other half of people who they're like, I just can't muster the energy to do anything because I, I'm my lifestyle, um, or a lot of times it's you know mental health or lack of exercise that makes me feel like I'm just like in this downward spiral of not wanting to do anything at all. So I think I can kind of speak to to both of these camps, and it's interesting because there's a similar solution for both. Whereas exercise is excellent for regulating your hormone balance because more muscle mass you have, the more insulin sensitive you are. Insulin sensitivity touches or insulin touches every single cell in our body. So being insulin sensitive is one of the most important things that you can do as far as your hormone health. And the more muscle you have, the more insulin sensitive you are. And so that can kind of drive you into an upward spiral. So focusing on building muscle mass or at least maintain the very least maintaining the muscle mass that you have. And so the people that are doing too much are probably breaking down muscle because they're in this fight or flight state all the time, which spikes cortisol. Cortisol can contribute to muscle breakdown. So they might be exercising, but not actually pushing themselves forward. And then on the other side of things, the people that aren't exercising at all and not building any muscle tissue, their insulin resistance might be increasing and therefore, again, causing all these hormonal gut issues, things like that. So 
I like to say just meet in the middle. Let's figure out how you can exercise in a way that um, drives muscle mass. And it doesn't have to be a lot. Like it, especially for those newbies who aren't doing anything, like a little bit can go a long way. And for those that are doing too much, let's taper back a little bit. Don't worry about burning calories. Don't worry about your workouts being like hard or sweaty or grinding you into the ground. None of that matters. All that's doing is spiking your sympathetic nervous system. Let's focus on muscle instead. Let's let's target muscles in a way that's going to build them and then rest and then recover. Um, so I think, I think one of the reasons why people don't get started is because they're intimidated that it has to be like all or nothing. Because again, we are conditioned to think that because of fitness advertising over the last few decades. Um, and I think if they knew like, oh, this doesn't have to be so grueling, I think that they would more likely start doing it at all. So that's kind of our philosophy with that. great question. It, it definitely is a little bit of genetics. Some people are just like freaky genetics as far as like they can do a lot and recover really, really well. Think about like professional athletes. They're putting their body through so much. And unfortunately, there is a genetic component to that. Um, we can all improve our tolerance to exercise, but um, at some point, some people are just going to naturally tolerate it better than others. So I'm, again, someone who I didn't traditionally recover well from a ton of high intensity exercise. And so it didn't allow me to progress because I would just like burn myself out or get injured or whatever and have to stop altogether before I could see progress. And I think a lot of people are like that. So what I like to say is objectify it for yourself because it can seem overwhelming. Like, am I someone who recovers well or am I not? And you can kind of get a little bit more objective about it by measuring, um, either your HRV, which you can't do like on your own. If you have like an aura ring or a whoop, they will measure your HRV, which is a sign of um, recovery. And then you can also do something called the CO2 tolerance test, which is, um, I can describe what it is, but basically the purpose of this test is to measure your body's ability to tolerate carbon dioxide. And when you can tolerate more carbon dioxide, that's a sign that your parasympathetic nervous system is well-functioning and that you can tolerate stress. And it generally means that you're well-recovered, you're adapting from your workout routine optimally, you don't need to pull back and take more recovery days, you're doing good right where you are, you're kind of on the right path. So how you do this test is you take five deep breaths in and out, like your deepest breaths, engaging the rib cage, letting the rib cage inflate as you inhale exhale, letting it all go, getting as much oxygen in and out as you can. And then on your fifth breath, you inhale in as much as you can, sip, 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 and then breathe out through pursed lips like you're breathing out through a straw, like letting out as little air as possible because you're testing how well can my body tolerate CO2 or carbon dioxide. You set a timer and you time how long can I breathe out. If the longer you can breathe out, the more recovered you are. So if you can, and generally there's different like kind of markers for this. We like to say like 25 seconds, if you can breathe out for 25 seconds or longer, you're probably recovered. You're probably on the right track. If you are routinely hitting less than that 25 seconds, it probably means you're doing too much. It probably means that your body's not able to tolerate all of this stress and you could afford from tapering back. Um, so I, I like to give my audience that tool because I think it's a really objective way to kind of see 
what's going on in your body because it can be – you can measure symptoms like how do I feel? Is my body feeling heavy? Am I sore all the time? Am I depleted? Can I focus? Am I clear? But those things are a little bit more subjective and harder to measure. I love that you bring up genetics because I think this is – it feels like this is a little bit of a polarizing topic in the fitness um, field where some people think that genetics – have nothing to do with it. And then some people think that genetics are big on your results and all of that. Um, So what role do you think genetics play with exercise types? And do you believe that some bodies are meant for different types of workouts? I I will say for myself speaking, um, I grew up just a little bit overweight all of the time. Like growing up, I just was a little bit more like heavier than my friends but I felt like I was doing the same things as them. I didn't feel like I was living any different than them. And then in adulthood, at sometimes I feel that I have to work that much harder. Like I can do the same things again as my friends and I, can, I eat very well, I sleep very well, I work out and I lift weights, but yet my progress is very slow in comparison to other people. Um, and I think there's more talk around that recently about the frustration of people that feel like they're living a very healthy lifestyle and how that and progress can feel slow versus someone that maybe is just getting into a healthy lifestyle in their 20s and they have what's what do they call it like new new gains or something like when they just start working out for the first time and it can be like oh my gosh they made all this progress but I've been doing this for so many years and where's my progress um do you so long-winded question of how important is genetics and exercise and I guess just progress in general? I think it absolutely plays a role. Body types are real. Everybody's bodies are different. Everybody's bodies will have different metabolisms and different um, different amounts of fat that they want to hold on to. Some people can lose fat really easily and some people have a harder time with it. Um, some people can gain muscle really easily and some people have a harder time with it. So I think genetics – are real, but it doesn't mean that you can't see the results that you want if you just if, if you are tailoring your lifestyle to your own body and staying in your own lane and not thinking like this person looks like this. So if I just do their workout routine, I'll look like that. My body will transform in that way. And I think that there's so many things to touch on here. Number one, I think we over-index, over-index exercise as a fat loss tool. And I talk about this on my podcast all the time, but research has shown that exercise is truly not very effective for fat loss. When you exercise, you might lose a modest amount of weight, like just a couple of pounds, and then it tends to plateau as your body accommodates to that energy adaptation. So but that's not what we're taught in the, in the fitness world. It, we're taught like just exercise more and more and more and you'll continue to lose weight when diet really is truly the most um, important thing when it comes to a fat loss um, perspective. And I always say I'm not a nutrition expert. I've had people on the podcast to talk about um, fat loss and <clears throat> excuse me and nutrition. But I think it's important to like focus on nutrition. If somebody is like, I can't lose fat, Let's not just exercise more. Let's focus on like, what are you eating? How is your body processing what you're eating? All of those things. Um, So there's that. I think that it's important to delineate, like, let's just not use exercise as a fat loss tool at all. Like, I really don't believe, I think we should separate it. 
Um, as far as, yes, some people are going to do the same routine and their bodies will adapt differently. And that's because no one person's genetics are the same. No one's person's lifestyles are the same. People are not eating exactly the same, um, sleeping exactly the same. Someone might be in that chronic sympathetic nervous system state where they're not healing. Their body isn't able to come and adapt and build new tissue. Some people might have lifestyles where they're more in the parasympathetic, the rest digest state. And so they can adapt really quickly and easily to exercise and add more um, and be okay and not hurt all over. So yeah, I mean, I think I think genetics is a component. I don't think it's the whole picture. I think that we really have to look at lifestyle, food, um, sleep, water, all those things. So I think like should people do different workouts based on their genetics? I think yes and no. So there are there have been studies that I've read where it, it's all about consistency, right? And so if you are if you enjoy a certain type of movement, you're going to see better results because you're going to stay more consistent. Studies have shown that. So if you're like I hate lifting weights and I'm never going to lift weights. Number one, you probably aren't going to build muscle if you don't lift, if you don't lift weights. Um, but number two, if, if that means that you just stay active, it's versus it's active or not active at all. I would rather you do the activity that you enjoy. Um, so there's a little bit of preference that goes into it as far as like, but I do think that most people should be lifting weights because again, that is the surefire way to continue to build muscle and we're all losing it as we age. So, wow, that was a really roundabout way. Did I answer your question or do you have on that? Yeah, it, it, it's essentially just going back to our point of not comparing yourself to another person and that genetics play a role, but really tuning into what your body needs and the, and the genetic piece of that is just a, a portion. It's just that. It's not everything. Yeah. And I love how you're weaving and like just making sense of like the nervous system and how it plays a role in, yeah, like how we see results from exercise. Something I've seen in my own body is that when I'm under chronic stress, like I can literally feel like the muscle just withering away. Um, I've also done like hormone tests and my testosterone is really low because of the stress that I've been under. And so all that to say is like, I really feel like the state of our nervous system does have a huge impact on, yeah, how we're going to see results with our workouts. So I'm curious, what are some ways that we can support our nervous system like throughout the workout, like beginning, during, after? Let's talk about it. Okay. So we have this step-by-step -step process that you'll see in every single one of our classes. We always start with breath work. And even if it's just like three breaths, and that's just to kind of, number one, help to um, regulate your nervous system. And then number two is to like kind of take a step between your life and your workout because the last thing we want to do is jump on our mat, not assess our body at all, and overly stress out our system and like bypass any of the signals your body is giving you. So taking a moment, we always start with just like a few big breaths, breathe in through the rib cage. You want to focus on a long inhale and a shorter exhale in relation, still like relaxed, deep breaths. But that longer inhale helps to prime your nervous system. Um, it actually increases sympathetic activity or that fight or flight 
activity is a long inhale. And we actually want that prior to exercise so that our body is keyed up and ready to exercise. During the workout itself, um, I always say you don't have to focus on calories, exhaustion, sweating, all of those things. All of those things are signs of a lot of sympathetic nervous system activity, sweating, increased heart rate, blood pressure, um, exhaustion, fatigue. You don't have to have those things happen in your workout in order to have an effective workout. Again, what we care about is muscle. So if we're loading the muscles appropriately, you may or may not break a sweat. You may or may not be huffing and puffing. You may or may not burn a lot of calories. So I like to say, put all of those things out of your mind and just focus on muscle fatigue during the workout itself. And this will set yourself up for not being so dysregulated as far as your nervous system goes, because you won't be just like grinding your body into the ground. And then prior, right after your workout in the cool down, we like to add breath work and relaxation. And this is the opposite in the warm up. So you're focusing on a nice long exhale in relation to the inhale. And this helps to stimulate vagus nerve um, that kind of runs through the diaphragm, calming your system, allowing you to enter into a parasympathetic nervous system state, which is the rest, digest, and heal. And that parasympathetic nervous state is crucial. So you end your workout and you step off your mat and you're a little bit more relaxed. You're a little bit more in that parasympathetic nervous system state. You're kicking off your recovery right off the bat because everybody thinks that the workout itself is what's important. Well, the benefits actually come after your workout when your body comes in and heals all the tissue that you damaged during the workout itself. So if you're not getting into that parasympathetic nervous system state, you may not be recovering and actually benefiting from the work itself. Um, so there's that. And then after your workout is also important what you're doing. Um, are you going to a boot camp class on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and overusing certain muscles, working the same muscle groups day in and day out, not giving your body that time to recover, to rest, living in that sympathetic nervous system, which can, again, spike cortisol, decrease testosterone, like you talked about, decrease muscle, um, gains and make you feel like crap. So incorporating recovery days after your workout is also really going to help you regulate your nervous system. We like to say like two recovery days a week. That's what I do. I recover on Saturday and Sunday, non-negotiable. And it has been game changing for me because usually I would work out like seven days a week and I would feel guilty for like missing a workout on a Saturday or Sunday. And now I'm like, yes, like no guilt because I see better results because I'm not in that fight or flight all the time. Yeah. That is so funny because I used to feel the same way. I'm just like reminiscing. Yeah. <laughs> back on college and what I would do in college. And it's so wild. And I think this definitely speaks to people in college too, if we have any listeners that are there, just be so gentle with your body because if you're, if you're drinking a lot, if all of these things are impairing your recovery. And so I remember I was starting to go to a crazy amount of boot camp classes in college. And it was like, well, I drink on the weekends a ton. And so I'm going to have to offset that somehow. And then the week was boot camp. And now I look back and I'm like, oh man, my poor body. Like I was putting it through the ringer. I dealt with the same thing. I think that like what you're doing outside of your exercise is really crucial, like your lifestyle. If you like now I don't, I'm not getting drunk four nights a week like I was <laughs> in college, but like back then it makes sense that like my body felt like crap. Like I was same as you going to like boot camp classes every single day to burn off the 
shots of vodka that I drank and then, you know, not sleeping well, not recovering well because alcohol is obviously really going to impair your recovery. And it's just this vicious cycle that people think they have to do. And it's like, no, you really, really don't. You can work out in a more gentle way, probably recover better and see better results if you do less. Or you know what I would do is I would work out like crazy if I knew I was going out that night. Yes. Separating too. We have to separate food and it's just not connected. I remember when I changed that in my mind of when I'm working out, I'm not thinking about what I ate earlier. I mean, in a great way of making sure you're having enough protein and all of that, but it's never in relation to what I ate or alcohol. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, never. And I think like it's hard for people to separate that because they don't understand why that's true, but there's actually science behind that. So maybe if I explain this, it'll help the listener who's like, yeah, that sounds nice, but like, I don't believe it. Like, I still think that I need to go work off a sandwich that I ate or whatever. So there's something called the constrained total energy expenditure model. Um, This is relatively new in the literature. Historically, we had the model where it was like the more you burn in, in exercise, the more you increase your deficit. So you could just burn and burn and burn. Let's say you, let's just use an example. Let's say you like ate three donuts or whatever, and it's a thousand calories or whatever that is. And so you're like, okay, I need to go work out on the, on the treadmill or on the elliptical and burn a thousand calories to offset. Okay, now I'm back to zero. I'm, I'm good. It doesn't actually work like that. So the constrained total energy expenditure says that your body actually stops burning calories from exercise at a certain point, and it'll start to borrow from other calorie expended, expending processes like digestion, like mood, like mental health to keep you in this narrow window of calorie expenditure. So just because you're burning more in your workouts, say you're burning a thousand calories in your workouts, or that's what your watch says, which by the way, those watches are very, very off. Um, But let's say you're burning, your watch says you burn a thousand calories. Well, your body's going to borrow from other processes, again, like digestion to offset that. So within the day, you're still burning 2000 calories or whatever. You're not burning 3000 calories. And this is really important to know because not only is it not possible to like burn off a lot of food or, or at the very least, it's very unreliable, but this is why you can start having digestive issues. This is why you can start having mental health issues is because you are using your energy towards exercise and your body doesn't have enough energy left to properly regulate digestion, to properly regulate mood and mental health. So you're actually sending yourself into this spiral by thinking that you can like earn food or that you can burn off food. And when you start to separate it, again, you'll start to see better results because number one, your body won't hurt because you're like, you know, you're punishing it from food decisions. And then number two, you start to think about like, okay, I do I really, do I want to eat this? Like, is this what I want? Yes or no, make that decision for yourself, but make it consciously, not thinking that I can eat this and then I can just go punish myself later. I think it like allows you to take more responsibility and have more power around food and exercise. Because when you're properly nourished, you start to not even think twice. You're just like, I had breakfast and lunch. There's nothing to burn off. There's no foods that are quote unquote bad. And that's what we talk to our clients a lot about, that we're not we're not demonizing good and bad foods. And I think most 
of our audience knows that by now, that we are very um, supportive in, in food and nourishment and all of that. But when you're thinking about exercise and, and you're already nourishing yourself, it, it's just not even something that runs through your mind anymore. You're not doing it so you can go get that McDonald's or Wendy's because that's not probably a huge part of your lifestyle anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And like your body needs calories. Like even if we even if we laid on the couch and did nothing, like your body still needs food to power just keeping you alive. And it's a quite it's a significant amount of food too. So I think like there's a lot of diet culture and fitness culture stuff that we've got to sort out to improve our relationship with food. And for a lot of people, it's a long journey. It's not just like listening. But I, I think there's more awareness building around it, which makes me so happy. I agree. I think we were kind of just having this conversation yesterday about like, there's so much awareness being built in the online space. And like, if you go talk to someone just on the street, I feel like it's like, wow, how do you not know this? But like, I've been in the space for so long that it's like, duh, like (laughs) this is obvious to me, but there's still so many people who still fall under these beliefs. And it's like, my God, I can't wait for you to like actually realize this. It's so liberating. And then it just starts to become second nature, like with your food choices, your movement, and just your perception of everything just completely changes. And it's no longer like this, this battle. And so like, it creates so much inner conflict and it's just so bad for our mental health. It's so bad. I know. I agree. I'm like, I feel like it's everywhere. I feel like this message is starting to get like like overly saturated. And then I talk to people, like just friends or whatever, and I'm like, oh, it's not. Like we haven't even scratched the surface. Like we've got a lot of work to do for this type of mindset to become mainstream. Agreed. Totally. Agreed. It's um, definitely like a slow progression, but I think – from where we were with like Atkins or Weight Watchers. I mean, is that stuff still around? I Yeah. It's so <laughs> crazy. I had a client recently that said that she was still coming from Weight Watchers mentality. And I was thinking to myself, wow. that was that like the 90s? Yeah. <laughs> but it, it's so ingrained. And I think when moms mm. had it ingrained, they kind of taught that lifestyle to their children. And, and of course, I, we mostly work with women, so mostly women. And then their metabolisms were shot by like age 10 because they were counting points. Like how many points is this? Let me go on my fitness pal and see how many points this is or Weight Watchers app or whatever it is. And so we've kind of talked about before too, There was there's diet culture, but then there's also anti-diet culture. And I love when you said you can see both sides because that's how I am too. It's like, okay, how can we meet in the middle? How can we understand that there were truths to probably both of them and meet in the middle? Because we also don't want someone who doesn't feel well to think that eating Doritos is the same as eating fruit. Like that's, you're not getting the same nutritional value, but at the same time, not thinking that Doritos are the devil is just like figure out how that makes you feel mm. and letting your body the decide. carb isn't the same. Yeah, exactly. So coming back from that pendulum. It's so interesting because anti-diet culture gets like a bad reputation because people just don't hear what somebody's actually trying to say is like, nobody is really saying like, go on a Doritos diet. Like nobody's saying that. It's just that like, that's 
we've, we are so polarized as humans, it's easier for us to go one extreme or the other. Like our brains have a hard time, I think, like being in the middle. Um, but that's just, that's just where like all of this education comes in because the more educated you are about this, the more, the easier it will be to change your mindset. I think, I think like I'm someone who like, I need to have the evidence and the logic in order to actually change my mindset. And so I think that's where this comes in is just educating themselves. I'm wondering if you could share what an Evlo workout looks like. Like you, I've, I've been inside of Evlo and I just would love for people to understand like what your workouts look like and how they differ from what you see in the gym and what people are doing, lifting crazy weights and all of that. You read my mind. I was going to say, tell us, <laughs> tell us more about Evlo. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So we talked about like the pre and post breath work, which we do, you'll see in every class at the staple of ours. And we also do pre and post mobility work. So gentle mobility, there's nervous system stuff behind that. And then during the work itself, um, what we do is we target one muscle group at a time and we get that muscle group close to failure. So let's say we'll use the shoulder example again. Um, let's say we're working deltoids or shoulders. So we do um, an exercise. We we tend to choose different exercises than a lot of mainstream culture or mainstream fitness culture does um, because of the biomechanics and because of an understanding of how to load muscles. So for example, when we work shoulders, we won't you don't won't see us doing like standing lateral raises, which is what or overhead presses, which is what a lot of fitness cultures doing for shoulders. We do it a little differently. So we tip on our sides and we work. Um, we do a lateral raise, laying on your side. Your body is supported. You're not standing. You're laying on the mat, but you will really feel your shoulder burn and fatigue. We get close to failure within one muscle group, and then we move on to another muscle group, and we do the same thing. And a lot of our workouts are on the ground. A lot of our workouts are, and so they kind of, they seem like a Pilates type workout, except we're lifting weights and really, really targeting certain muscle groups one at a time. And then during the workout itself is you're getting close to that muscular failure. And then within each class, you're working a different muscle group each day of the week. So there, it's very structured so that you're not overusing certain muscle groups. So you're allowing your body to recover from the stress that you had the day before. And then we're always encouraging those two recovery days every week. So it's like a within class type of intention and then a within week type of intention. And then it's even like a within quarter type of, of, um, type of program as well because we recommend people taking reset weeks every eight to 12 weeks where they take, you know, four to seven days off exercise, allow their body, and there's science behind this, allow their body to um, re-regulate some pathways that may have been desensitized, and then they come back and they're stronger. They move past plateaus. They avoid burnout. They build more muscle when they come back. So that's kind of, it's all very intentional and structured. I love that because I've been hearing more and more about moving a muscle to failure versus just doing like three sets of 10 or 12. And so when you move that muscle to failure, that's really what you want. And then that all ties back in to your body. Like your failure is going to be different than somebody else's mm -hmm. failure. So doing 10, yeah, the sets of 10 and all of that. Yes. That's why we don't count reps. Like we don't, we don't say do 10 reps of this exercise because for some people, 10 reps might be way too much and they might be compensating and losing their form. And for others, 10 reps might not even 
get them close to failure at all. So we do time-based. So we do like 60 to 90 seconds. And the beautiful thing about it being online is I always say, if, you, if you're done sooner than me, great. Just chill, do some breath work, do some mobility, wait till we go, move on. If you need longer than me, pause the video or just let the video play and keep going until you get close to that muscular failure. And that's when people see results. Um, is when they are getting close to their muscular failure, which is going to be a little bit different um, among individuals. And I think that's one of the problems with just classic group fitness classes. I love group fitness, obviously, but that's one of the problems with just like going to a group fitness class is you're following along with the class, but it's hard to tailor to kind of your needs without looking like a weirdo. You're like, oh, I'm the only one that's like everybody's moved on and I'm still working my shoulders over here because I'm not close to failure. So do I have my understanding correct? Like we're not, we're laying on the ground and we're being supported by the ground so that we can reach muscular failure faster because like when we're standing and doing like shoulder raises, we're probably using more than just that muscle group, right? Do I have that right? So that specific example is more of how it loads that muscle. So when you're standing and doing arm um, lateral raises for the shoulder, it loads the muscle in what's called the later phase of that muscle where the muscle is shorter and weaker. So the most, if you've noticed, the hardest part is when your arms are all the way teed out at the very end. That's where the muscle is the shortest and has the least capacity to generate force. When you are laying tipped on your side, the opposite happens. So when you're at the top of the movement, when your arm is stacked, that's when the movement is the easiest, that's when the muscle is the weakest. As you begin that movement, when your arm is at your side and you're lifting your arm up, that's when the muscle is the strongest and that's when you're loading it the most. So it's when it's kind of where physics matches anatomy and how we can like understand like, okay, my body is strongest in this position. I want the most load. I want this position to be the hardest. And as my body gets weaker, as the muscle shortens, I want it to start to get easier. So that's how you can build muscle with less stress and strain on your joints Um, so that's one conversation more about like biomechanics. And then the other conversation about the nervous system is using the floor as a way to support your body helps with stability, which helps your nervous system feel safe and helps produce better motor output at the muscle that you're targeting. So if you've ever noticed, like you can leg press a lot more than you can squat. And that's because your back is totally, well, part of the reason is because your back is totally supported on in a leg press, your trunk is totally supported, and you can push a lot of weight with your legs versus in a squat, there's a lot more going on. You've got a barbell, your back has to engage, you might be more limited by your back, your, so your nervous system feels less stable and you might produce less output. So that's why we use like the wall, the floor, a chair, we use lots of external points of contact to make your body feel stable so that your um, muscular output increases. And what kind of equipment would someone need if they were to join Edlow? Like, are they able to just use body weight? You mentioned like a chair. Like, I think that's something everyone has access to. Yes. Dumbbells. An assortment of dumbbells is what we generally use. Depends on the lift, depends on the person. Um, We also use, we kind of use a lot of equipment. That's the biggest, I think, like um, the biggest thing that we struggle with is we do use a lot of equipment, but it's because we want to make sure that we're um, targeting muscles in a way that is the best with the least amount of strain. So like a chair, we use access to a wall a lot. We'll use dumbbells, bands, um, like a little small Pilates ball, but you could use a pillow um, and like gliders. A lot of these things, like a lot of people have, 
um, or are pretty pretty affordable. Especially after the pandemic. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> dumbbell pricing went crazy. <laughs> so, so many people have them now. It was insane. Yeah. And yeah, so everybody, not everybody, but a lot of people have them now. So, but yeah, it's going to depend. Like I have an assortment of dumbbells because again, every muscle in your body is different and should be treated as such. And so we shouldn't like lift the same amount of weight for every single muscle in your body, but there are too a lot of, a lot of muscles that you can use body weight for and still continue to progress, even if you're an advanced lifter. Beautiful. I think that's all I got. Yeah. Is there anything else that you feel like um, you would want any of our listeners to know about nervous system, exercise, Evlo? We touched on a lot and you all asked really great questions. I always feel like on interviews, I babble because I get so excited and so passionate about these things. So I hope that I said things in a way that made sense. You definitely did. You definitely did. Yeah. 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 (laughs) I think our listeners – feel probably really seen. I think a lot of what you said is probably music to their ears. Like, yes, I don't have to sweat like crazy in the gym anymore. I don't have to push myself past my limits. Like that's, that is nervous system work is learning like your body's cues. And it, it's so hard when you have like an overabundance of information just being thrown at you left and right. Every single time you open Instagram, it's like, you need to do this, you need to do that. You're doing this wrong. Um, so I think this was, yeah so beautifully laid out and so helpful. Um, for those who want to work with you, join Evlo, where can we find you? Where can we do that? Yes. Um, I have a podcast if people want to learn more about like the nerdy fitness stuff. It's called Fit Body Happy Joints. Um, that's my favorite like place on the internet is podcasting. It's the best. Um, I'm on Instagram, Dr. Shannon DPT, and then Evlo Fitness, E-V-L-O Fitness. Um, we have a 14 day free trial, so somebody can just go in there and try it out and see see how they feel. Beautiful, so cool. I'll be sure to link all of that. Thank you to everyone listening. We hope you enjoyed the show, and we will see you next time. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you learned just as much from Dr. Shannon as we did, and you just feel less overwhelmed about your fitness journey, knowing that you can really tailor it to you and figure out what works best for your body based on what we learned from her. If you loved this episode, we would so, so appreciate a review. It's so quick and just really helps us grow the show as well as bring on the best guests possible. And don't forget, if you haven't heard, Gabby and I put together a two-part freebie for you guys called Digesting Well. If you struggle with digestive issues and you feel like you've tried it all, you need to download this freebie. It's linked for you in the show notes. Um, Gabby put together a mini lesson on digestion for you guys, and I put together a mini somatic audio practice for you to carry with you at mealtime. These are things you can just listen to on the go. And if you're ready for more, don't forget to check out our course, our mini course that is audio only called Body Basics. This is where Gabby and I are integrating both nutrition and nervous system healing in one spot because both matter. And we're just really like emphasizing the basics in this course because they are so important and often overlooked. We think the the healing lies in some magic supplement or if we change this, we change that, but it really comes back down to consistency to build a solid foundation. These are things that we come back to again and again every single day. And when our minds want to take over and say, oh my God, I think I need to do this and that, that crazy thing, we ran it back in and really 
come back to the basics in a way that is sustainable and easy. We're just all about simplifying over here at the Body Wisdom Podcast for y'all. So don't forget to check that out, linked in the show notes, and we hope you enjoy. We'll see you on the next episode.